My name's Ben, and uh, yeah, um, I love Jesus, number one, and number two, I've, uh, you know, I've been a part of this family for uh, some time now, and been involved with the youth ministry for a little over three years, um, and leading that, and, and uh, yeah, it's been a blessing, and I'm uh, very blessed to get to uh, teach today, and, and uh, so, yeah, um, I'm 27 years old. Don't let your, my mustache deceive you. I might look a lot older, but I'm not. And, uh, and what else? Um, I'm married to a sweet little wife. Where is she? There she is. Yeah, right there. That's okay, baby. You can raise your hand. And she is a blessing to me. And we're, we're, we're very newly wedded in March. So, uh, yeah. Thank you, Lord. Um, what else? Yeah, that's it. I, I'm excited for this message um, for one reason, um, is that... The person that we're looking at, we've been kind of going through Hebrews chapter 11 this whole summer, looking at different folks and just how God is using them and looking at the faith they had. You know, kind of the way this, this chapter has been rolling is it'll say, by faith, this person did this. By faith, by faith, by faith, Abraham went here. Uh, Sarah did this. Noah did this. Abel did this. And down the line, and the, the person we're going to look at today is this woman named Rahab. What's interesting about this, though, is, is, a, is a handful of things. It's the first, though, is that for some reason, uh, the writer of Hebrews finds it important for us to know her occupation. So it's not just Rahab, but it's Rahab the prostitute. This is different than any other folks mentioned um, in this chapter. Because, I mean, it doesn't say Noah the shipbuilder, right? It doesn't go Moses the, what did he do? Shepherd, right? Yeah? But it says Rahab the prostitute. So this is, this is interesting. Not only was she a prostitute, but this is a, she was a Gentile woman. She wasn't actually a part of the Jewish. Um, she, didn't, she didn't exit with the Jews out of Egypt. Okay? So she, she was a Canaanite, lived in, in this land that um, Israel was about to invade. And we'll get into all that story here in a moment. Um, but, but I want us to, to consider this. As we look through this chapter, it, it's, it's our natural tendency to look at these people and say, wow, look at God's heroes. Look at God's 18, right? And we, we just naturally do this because it's our culture. We love to exalt success. We love to say, wow, look at what that person did. Look at the business they run. Look at the, how successful they are at school, right? And, and, and we, this is something that we really wrestle with. And we compete with each other. We become jealous. And, we, and it just, it's, a, it's rooted in sin. And so it's our natural tendency as we look at these people in the Bible, be careful you don't exalt them as heroes, but, but see them as, God, as God's people that have received God's grace to be transformed and do great things. Okay? Sound good? Right on? I want to pray for myself and for us one more time. So why don't we pray, huh? God, I thank you for this time. I thank you that you've allowed me to, to speak your word. Thank you that you've, Lord, you brought, brought me to this city eight years ago. God, thank you that, that, that you let us just open your gospel. And God, I pray, I pray that you would reveal your word. Reveal your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray he would be the hero of our story this morning. So Lord, protect us from idolizing people, from trusting in ourselves. But God, I pray that we would be transformed by you. And Father, at the end of the day, I pray we would just exalt you. And we would glorify your name with our lives. And so, God, do, do hard work this, tonight, this morning. God, we love you, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay. 
So we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 11, um, verse 31, and then we're going to jump right over to Joshua chapter 2. Sound good? All right. Hebrews 11, starting at verse 31. Okay, here we go. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Okay, let's look at this story. Let's go to Joshua. Why don't you turn there with me? We're going to read here the first... uh, 14 verses of, of Joshua chapter 2. Kind of give us a story here, and then we'll, we'll go from there, huh? Okay. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go and view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came to the house of the prostitute who named, whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman has taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And when the gate was about to be be closed at dark, the men went out, and I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought the men up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax, and she had laid an order on the roof. So the men pursued after them and went the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear, and that the fear, of upon, fear has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. And we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea and before you when he came out of Egypt, and what you did to the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, and whom we devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of, because of, because of you. For the fear, for the, for the Lord your God, he is God in heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that, he, that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house, and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father, my mother, and my brothers and my sister, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Okay, so this text right here, let me give kind of try to fill us in where we're at in history, the history of Israel. So the people that, uh, you know, from Genesis, we have creation, and we have a whole bunch of history of, of God, God calling Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. Genesis ends with Joseph, and then the Exodus begins, where God says, it's time to bring my people out of Egypt, out of slavery, and he uses this man named Moses. Moses pulls them out of, out of Egypt, wander in the desert for about 40 years, and then the end of the, the book of Deuteronomy, God says to Moses, there's my land, but I'm actually going to kill you right now, and you're not going to go in. Moses is like, oh, well, my time is up, and uh, go to be with the Lord. And so Moses dies, and Joshua is the man who is now said to be the one to lead Israel into the promised land. So Joshua the general, at this point in time, he's getting ready to head in to the heart of Canaan, the land that God had given them, okay? And in fact, head into the city named Jericho, which, which was the stronghold of this land. 
So with, with our story here, I feel like this text is a little challenging. Because the way that Hebrew writers would write is they didn't give a lot of detail. Okay? They didn't give a lot of animation to, to the story. They really are very factual if you read throughout uh, Jewish writing. And so it's, it'd, be, it'd be a lot easier if I had a story to read. It was like, and then the spies were creeping through the city, and they got in the gutter and snapped that dude's neck. And, you know, that would just be so much easier and exciting for me to be like, yeah. And then at this point, you know, just, you know, all this stuff going, I would, I would love that. But uh, you're like, this guy is sick. And so, but that's not how the Jewish writers decided to write. In fact, they wrote in a way saying, Joshua sent spies. The spies ended up lodging at the home of a prostitute named Rahab. Really? That's it, huh? Okay. Hmm. Well, I hope that they had good intentions. You know, this is a difficult thing. You see what I'm wrestling with here? How do I explain point A to point B? Lord, help me. Now, this is the thing. I am going to try to present to you my theory. My, I'm going to use my imagination. So this is not thus says the Lord. But this, I'm going to give you my pitch on how I feel, according to this text, what I have to work with, how I feel these spies ended up here. And so we're going to take our first part of our time this morning and look at these spies and look, get, kind of getting into their, their mind a bit. So with, what the text tells us is these two spies, if you get into the, into the mind of them, you can imagine these guys with the forerunners are going to be heading into this land before anyone else. How excited they might be to be the first ones to enter Canaan. I mean, this is the special forces on God, of God's men. He's sending in to scope out the land, to get a, get a feel for the military, get a feel for the defenses, get, a, get an idea of like what's going through the mind and the hearts of the people that live in the city. So I'm imagining them coming into the city. I'm, I, for some reason, I just picture like a, a Jedi cloak, you know, kind of <laughs> carrying like a basket of hay. You know, this, I, I don't know what they carried back then, but, you know, kind of walking in, acting cool. Scoping it out, taking a few notes, you know, write it down on the tablet of stone. And then uh, looking around. And then so throughout the day, and their arms just beat, right? And, uh, or just ripped out of their mind. I don't know, one of the two. Uh, uh, by the end of the day, they, they've done their job, okay? They scoped out the city. We've got huge walls, all right? Hmm. And uh, they're, they're scoping out. We've got, we got the military here, this many guards, putting together all this information they're saying, we've come to the end, we've completed our job, all right? And so at the, uh, it would make sense to me that if you're looking to, to peace out the next day, you would, you would not want to be staying in the middle of the city. Because in the text, further in this text, it tells us that Rahab actually lived within the wall of Jericho, okay? And so it's, it's my imagination, my interpretation, that I feel that these men were looking to, a pla- looking to stay in a place, lodge in a place, where they could leave the next day uh, as quick as they could. And by staying in the middle of the city, it would be more dangerous than staying on the outskirts of the city. So they come to this house, knock on the door, ends up being the home of a prostitute named Rahab. And so I'm sure their consciences were very conflicted. Is this good? Is this safe? This is, where we need to, this is where we need to bed down for the day. Now, this is interesting here, because the way that Rahab responds to the situation is very interesting. Because it seems to me that she had already, after being with these spies for some time, changed her allegiance, right? Because in the story, it tells us here, a few spies came to the door. So you can imagine the FBI knocking on the door. We've heard there's a couple men here staying at your house. Would you like to tell us something about that? You know, I've been watching a lot of um, 24 lately. 
And me and my wife have been devoted to that. And, and so I'm picturing the FBI, you know, they're just kind of silly. I mean, once they dismantled CTU, it all went bad, right? If you know what I mean. Eh, it's only two of us do. So <laughs> the FBI is knocking. And Rahab says, oh, uh, yeah, the, the men were here, but they, they left. You just missed them. If you pursue them, you might, you might catch them. And so FBI, you know, kind of, oh, really? Oh, like, like a dog, you know, go get it, boy. And, and there they go, pursuing these spies, what they thought they would be, running through the fields, you know, back into the hills, back to the army, but were really on the roof the whole time. So we have to ask ourselves a question here. Why did Rahab hide these spies? Why did she do this? This is, this is crazy. I mean, they just met each other, right? It wasn't like they were emailing ahead of time, hey, we're thinking of stopping by and saying hi. You know, they just met each other. And for some reason, Rahab found that it would be, it would be a good call to hide these, these people, okay? Now, listen to this. Hone in with me in Joshua chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, feel free. We've got a couple on the wall there. You can grab them. No one will make fun of you for getting up right now, so don't worry. Or someone can just toss them. I don't know. One of the two. Um, Joshua chapter 2. Verse 8, listen to the way Rahab responds to these spies, okay? The, the FBI just left, and she comes up to the roof, and this is what she said. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof, and she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan and Sihon and Og and whom we devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. This is quite a statement, right? Quite a statement from this woman who had, who had heard about God, but then something... Uh, I have to say, something must have happened for her to respond with such, such faith, such b- strong belief in the fact that she believes her God is, is real. Or she believes the God that these men represent is real. Okay? Because th- she lived in a culture that's very uh, polytheistic. Many gods, they worship Baal, and they worship all kinds of gods that would benefit them. But for her to make a statement like this, to say, I believe that there's one God, the Lord God, and he's going to take the city. I believe that. This is what I have to say to you, is that I believe the spies came into the house of Rahab with more than just spying. I believe that these men came with a message behind, behind what they were doing. That there was more to them than just their occupation. Get this. I want you to, if, if, you, if you want, you can go to uh, Romans. I want to read for you a verse in Romans. Romans chapter 10. Romans 10, verses uh, 15 through 17. That's what I'm going to read. Paul says something very interesting about faith. He says, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what we have, we have heard from us. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the words of Christ. That's our big thing, right? That's what we're trying to look at here. What gave this woman faith? So I believe that these spies came with more than just spying. I believe they came with a message. They came with the message of the promise of their God. And, they, and as they got, got to know each other before the FBI showed up, 
I'm sure this woman was curious. Why are you here? What are you running from? What are you hiding? I know you guys don't live here. What is this? And I'm sure they're, they're a bit conflicted. Should we tell her? And they told her. They told her about their God. They told her about Yahweh and how God had given them this, them this land. She, she knew what was happening historically around here. She's read the news. She heard what happened in Egypt, right? She says that. She heard what happened to different people groups. And she's fearful. But there's something more to her fear. She fears God but wants more of him. She wants to know who he is. Now, James, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of open up a can here and get back to it later. But listen to this one verse in James. James chapter 2, 25. In the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? So interesting, James, the half-brother of Jesus, doesn't refer to them as spies. James refers to them as messengers. This, this Greek word, I can't pronounce it, I don't know Greek, but I looked it up. This Greek word, uh, I wrote it down, ag, uh, agilios, I don't know, Greek scholar in here can correct me later. Um, this Greek word, it's the same word used for John the Baptist in describing him as bringing forth the message. Okay? This is interesting to me because we've got to remember, who are we talking about here? Spies. We're talking about some spies that brought forth, that did more than just their occupation, that they saw there was more to their life and their purpose than just spying. Now, this, 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 for me, this was challenging because it, it brings a question to my heart and saying, what do we define as ministry, okay? Uh, recently, I, last week actually, I had the opportunity to head up to Boise, Idaho, and uh, it's up north, if you don't know. And uh, anyway, we headed up there with uh, this, this nonprofit that I'm a part of uh, called the Halle Project. And we were filming this ministry school and this kind of the different areas of ministry the school's involved in. And it was very inspiring. And uh, I met this guy named Bill. And uh, so I have a little video. I wanted to go for it, Nate, just show you all. My name is Bill Meeker. I'm the garden director here at the Vineyard Church. We call this the Garden of Feeding. We grow these vegetables here for the people that are in need, and every Wednesday and Saturday we hand out vegetables at the same time to Barnum Center and hands out their food and also the Medicaid training. Strictly volunteers, we had 5,800 and some hours last year volunteered, plus we had over 200 volunteers put in that 5,000 hours, and we produced over 31,000 pounds of vegetables that we gave away to the needy. Our purpose is to feed the needy, which we've been very fortunate. God has really blessed us with this garden. We put tons of compost in here and lots of love and labor. What is, what is your heart and why did you start volunteering in the garden and maybe some of your experience? With well, I started gardening when I was four years old and I grew some real good weeds. <laughs> and uh, my mother always had a garden. She fed all eight of us out of the garden. She canned and did everything. And I never liked it much when I was home, but I just loved gardening. And what I get out of it is the satisfaction of seeing these people get the good, fresh vegetables. A lot of them live on food stamps and they can't afford to buy vegetables. And it's quite rewarding to do that. I've kind of said it before. It, yeah. Other people have gotten interested in growing their own gardens now. People from all over the world. I mean, I'm from England, from Germany, can come here and copy what we're doing. And that is a blessing in itself. It's a mission in itself to get people involved in gardening. Uh, back in the 40s, everybody had a garden. But we got to where we'd go by at the grocery store and we thought cheaper, but there's just no flavor and no taste. But we want people to get involved in gardening 
and to get their own gardens going and come out here and get started here and then go do their own. Cool. Sounds great. You can see why I'm not a minister. Cool. So that's my friend Bill I met last week. And I got to say, I was inspired by this guy. I was just I was inspired because this guy, he's so passionate about organic vegetables. Does that seem weird to anybody? I mean, he's just like so devoted. Every day of the week, I mean, he's retired. He's like, I'm how old are you, Bill? And he, well, 37 twice. I was like adding it up. I went to Cal Poly. Come on. And, like, you know, 74, right? Yeah. And uh, I might be wrong. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, but it was just so sweet to see this guy, Bill, as, as he's just so passionate about vegetables. And he sees this as his ministry at his church. Because I really feel we, being a young church and being a church that's trying to figure out what is our mission? What are we here for? It's easy to think of church as just this. Just this. Of like, let's come and hear an encouraging word and go have a sandwich after. And for, for a lot of us, that's all church is, right? And we miss out on what God wants to do with us. We miss out on using the gifts and the passions we have, even if that's sowing, even if that's vegetables. Because I'm never going to grow organic. I mean, I'm going to try. But I'm, I'm never going to do what Bill's doing, okay? I'm just not. It's not my gifting. And Paul says something about this in 1 Corinthians. He says, we're like a body. We're like the body. And there's made up of different parts. Some of us are a hand. Some of us are an eyeball. Some of us are feet, right? And, he, and Paul says, if I paraphrase this, he says, it's silly if the eyeball's saying, why am I not a nose? That's, this is wrong. What's wrong with this picture? And we, we, we do this. And we, we, we look at ourselves and say, why am I not like that person? Why am I not on the stage? I can speak loud. Great, you know? I, I don't, sometimes I don't even know why I'm here. You're probably asking the same question. Huh? And you're, we, we gotta ask ourselves, is the point of this to just compete and get in the place that we feel is going to feel best to us? Or are we here to, to minister in a different way? Our existence, the staff here, the children's ministry, the, the youth ministry, preaching, money class coming up, hanging out at the park, all these ministries exist not to just entertain you, but to equip you. We're not, we're not up for entertaining you. If all this is is a, is a quick pep talk, I quit. What's the point? I mean, what the, is the point of this if all we're doing is gathering once a week and go home and sit on our couch and do nothing about it? This, it's just a waste of time. But what if we see ourselves as God has brought us together in this room in this time to minister to each other? And the pastors here and the staff here are here to equip you. But if you look at church as like what Brian was saying, just your buffet, where does Jesus taste best to me? Instead of saying, where will Jesus use me? Where can I be a part of his work and be, and be most equipped? Okay? Because especially, let me have to speak to my, my uh, younger friends, my freshmen in the house. I'm going to see the freshmen here real fast. Right on. Yeah, one, one brave soul. She's like, I am the one. <laughs> me. Right on. I know a lot of you are lying right now. They're there. I see you. But get this, guys. And you, it's easy for you to come into this game and say, I'm only here for a few years. You know, I'm just, just going to slide and, yeah, just meet a lot of friends. That's great. But what if you see these few years as, man, God has brought you to Slowtown to use you 
for four years. For me, it was five and a half. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Sorry, mom and dad. <laughs> or if it's a year, I don't know. A season, whatever season God's brought you in, see yourself as ministers. These spies, they were just spies. They didn't go to Bible school, okay? But they knew the promise that God gave them. They knew that they were doing a job that was about a bigger purpose. They might have been special forces, but you know what? I bet you back at camp, there were people whipping up hot dogs and hamburgers, right? People playing a different role or lamburgers, whatever. There was, there's people playing different roles, and we have to see this. A healthy church is not one that exalts the highest one in leadership and just, wow, it's so great. Look at what he's doing. We're just going to sit back and be entertained by his ministry but a healthy church is one that's ministering to each other with the message. We all, if you call yourself a Christian, we carry the gospel message. We carry the hope of Jesus Christ. And with that, whether you're an architect or a house mom or a teacher or a freshman, even freshman, whatever you are, God can use you. God wants you to use you. He wants you to be a part of his work. Okay? Now, I, I wrestle with this, to be honest with you. Because I've been on staff here for, for about a little over three years and uh, serving at the youth ministry, and I've loved it. It's been a blessing to me. But since being, getting married and, and uh, my business growing, I felt that I've just been all over the place, just not able to lead well the youth ministry. And so I felt a burden. I felt a, a call from God, really, to, to step down from this ministry. And I have to be honest, you know, I wrestled and, and I've talked with Brian a lot about this. Like, is this the right thing to do? Am I, am I taking the... Am I just backing out of what God really wants to do with my life? And he's encouraged me over and over, and I'm thankful. He said, Ben, you need to figure out what is your highest calling. Because your highest calling is different than my highest calling. And we like to say things like this, stepping down from ministry. Is it really stepping down? Like this is some kind of platform? I know I'm barely raised up, but come on. Really. Is this that much? If this is glamorous to you, you're missing the point. Because your calling your highest calling is just as valuable to God as my highest calling because it's between you and God. And God wants to use you and put you a part of the body to, be, to, use, to serve each other, to create a functioning body where everyone's playing their role. The foot, the spleen, the liver, the eye, the mouth. Making a functional body to be a blessing. Guys, what was the original commandment that Abraham gave us? God gave Abraham. God came to Abraham and says, I am going to bless you so that you would be a blessing to others. So this would not just be about you. I'm not trying to just make you rich, but I want to use you to be a blessing to all nations. That is an awesome call, huh? But God, God wants to do more with our lives, so be careful that you don't look at your call as less than anyone else's call, because it's unique to you. So, okay. I'll finish that rant. Okay, let's do this. There, I want to talk more about the faith of, of Rahab. If you look back at this passage, if I just summarize what we just read, Rahab, it's interesting. She goes from talking about, when she goes on the roof and she's talking to the spies, she goes from talking about, I know, from being personal to saying, but the city believes also. So she says also, like, the city as well heard about what you have done, and their heart is melting. And so we need to, we need to figure something out here. Of what is true faith? Is it simply acknowledging that God's here and existing, that he's a creator? Is that enough? Is that faith? And so I want to look at a passage. Go to James, James chapter 2. 
James chapter 2. It's right after Hebrews, actually. And this is one of the places that uh, Rahab is actually mentioned. Um, but I want to read this whole passage about faith, where James talks about it. And starting in verse 14. He says this, he says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled, without giving them the things that needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself does not have works is dead. But if some will say to you, I have faith, and I have works, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled in saying Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see... That a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the message and sent them out by another way? For also, as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. I know I, uh, I opened up a can right here, right? A lot of you are, okay, wait a minute, hold on, Ben. Paul says, we're justified by faith alone, in Christ alone. Right? Right. But what James is bringing to the table is not a contradiction, but it's completion. It's bringing more to the picture what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, yes, it's faith, it's belief. But what Paul, I believe, would argue is that your faith, if it remains just knowledge, it's, it's empty. It's nothing there. I'm glad if you know your theology. Congratulations. But if your theology never plays out to become practical in your life, James would argue there's no, there's no such faith there. You're just as good as a scholar who can tell you all the right answers, tell you what's right, but yet there's no, nothing playing out in their life that proves they've experienced God, that Jesus is their treasure. And what we see here, now what's going to, I'm throwing us all over the place, I know that, I'm sorry, but going back to Joshua, if I can just read this for you. And Joshua, the second part, of after Rahab had said, I believe that the city, the city is fearful. The city is, 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 uh, knows what God has done. Rahab says this at the end of 11. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that I have dealt kindly with you. And also you'll deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother and brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. The city feared God and trembled. Rahab feared God and called on his power. We see this all over the place. We see this on campus. We see this in our jobs, right? You'll talk about God, and some people, no, 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 I don't want it, I don't care. That's fine, I believe. You know, there might be a higher being created in the world. That's fine, but I don't, want, I don't want religion. I don't want Jesus. Forget it. But some people will see God and see his work around us and want more of it and see this is the source of salvation. 
see that God is the one that can save. And that's unique here with Rahab. She, she sees that there's more to what this me- the message that the spies were bringing was a message of life to her, but it was a message of death to the city. So it's very interesting because we need to distinguish this, especially in our, in our lives, in our occupations, is that our lives, I pray that they would be marked by more than just how much we know and how much we retain. Because I understand, guys, what we do here, at the end of the day, in a, in a couple of weeks, you're not going to remember what I said. <laughs> I've done junior high ministry long enough to know that, okay? <laughs> right? I'm going to call someone out right now. What was my message on August? Whatever. They're going to be like, I don't know. See? Point. There you go. A lot of times, we're not going to retain all the information, but what we will retain, you're going you're gonna to see the passions of the people around you at church. You're going to see what people are doing with their lives, and that's stuff that we can be a part of. And yes, we want to be fueled by God's word, of course. That, I mean, that is the source of our faith. But from there, that bet it can't stay alone. It's completed by the, our actions. It's completed by the way we live, okay? Okay, I don't want to belabor this too long. Let's, let's go think about something deep here. We talked about the spies. The role they played, the mission they had was deeper than just spying. Rahab looked at her faith, completed faith by the way that she acted. She risked her life to save these guys. But get this, deeper than this, what do we see about the heart of God? This is where it's important. If anything you see, get this. We see in this situation, I believe, that it was not a mistake that these spies ended up at the house of Rahab. I believe that this was the plan of God, the orchestration of God through the the matter of events to bring these spies to this woman who was in need. They heard the message, she heard the message, and she desired to be saved. Guys, we see something deep here about the heart of our God, that she desired, that God desires to seek out the lowly and despised, the, the prostitute. We cannot forget here is that it's, that for some reason Rahab, her occupation is mentioned with this whole thing. Almost God wants to say, look at the woman I'm saving, who I love. I love Rahab, and I want to see her become part of my family. Guys, because how do we react we see a prostitute walking down the street. A lot of us cringe, right? A lot of us will say, how disgusting is that? I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want to talk to her. You see a transvestite. We cringe, right? A lot of us have pushed that away. And we've, we miss out on the heart of God. We miss out and seen right here, God finds this woman valuable because she's created in his image. Get this. Go with me. First Corinthians. I want to read this passage for you. I think Paul lays it out very good in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul says this, verse 26. For consider your callings, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you are powerful. Not many of you are of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what's weak in the world to shame the strong. And God chose what was low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is awesome. We see here that that God is, is, is saving people and seeking people out, pursuing people, like Rahab, 
Not to say, well, look at how great her testimony is, but to see the heart of God. That God loves Rahab, pursuing her. And I pray that we would not just say, well, that's great for God, but we'd have the same heart. Because at the end of the day, we're all prostitutes too. We have all prostituted ourselves out to our jobs, to our money, to the idols in our lives. We gave ourselves our intimacy and our passions to things that do not satisfy. Right? If we get down to this, thank you. If we get down to this and look, what is sin? Is sin just breaking rules? Really, is that it? It's deeper, guys. It's our souls giving ourselves over, worshiping what is not going to fulfill, exchanging God for the creation in hopes that we would be somehow filled. That is sin in the core. And what we see here, guys, if we look at Rahab, be careful that you just say, oh, wow, that's cool that God saved her. Good thing I'm a good, clean citizen. I, you know, I take care of my family. I work hard. You're a prostitute too. We all are. I am. We've all done it. But guys, God's heart, as we see in here, the same way that, she is pers- that God is pursuing Rahab, God is pursuing us. And, God, and, and, and we look at her past and say, man, think of the wickedness that she's been through. Think of the defilement and the, the abuse that this woman has gone through her whole life. And when the message was brought to her, she said, I want that. I want that. Get this. This is interesting. Down the, down the line, she is told by the spies, okay, we're coming back for you. Put a scarlet robe in the window. In the, throughout the Bible, scarlet is a sign of our sin. Isaiah, Isaiah 1, though our sins be like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. <sighs> it's almost as if Rahab is putting this sign in the window saying, sinner, save me. Save me, God. Some of you, I don't know where where you're at. I don't know if you showed up in this town a week ago, and you're wondering, am I going to make it? This is hard already. It's hard being a Christian. It's hard doing what I know I'm supposed to do. Guys, you've got to see this here, is that when you think, my, my past is too much for me to come to God, Look at Rahab. God wants to save you. God wants you to believe in him. God wants, wants to be your greatest treasure and your passion and the, the one who has relationship with you. We see that with Rahab, right? How great is our God to think it's worth enough to pursue one prostitute. Thank you, God, for this picture. It's, it's beautiful. And it, as we close, guys, I'm, I'm going to invite the band up here. I, I want us to consider this. Are we portraying this heart in our lives? Is this seen in our faith? Do we, do, can people tell that we have the heart of God with the way that we live? I, I, feel, I feel it's hard for me sometimes to fess up. It's hard for all of us to fess up our sin and to put that cord out the window of our lives. It's, but, but friends, I pray that as, as we grow as a church and we look at our lives and look at the heart of our God, I pray that we would see our sin not as something to shame us, but something that's going to be saved, something that's going to be, that God is going to redeem us from. Paul says this, says, this is a trustworthy saying, that Christ came to save sinners, whom I'm the foremost. So friends, what we're going to do right now, it's, it's very simple. We're going to worship God. If you don't know him, I, I pray that you would come to him 
right now in your own, in your own chair, in your heart, and ask him to save you. And trust in his promise. Friends, this is the thing. We live in Jericho too, right? Our, our city, as nice as Slowtown is, there's brokenness everywhere. We live in Jericho, and we've got to see that in the same way that God sent spies, the first Joshua sent spies, so the second Joshua, the true Jesus, sent his messenger, John the Baptist, saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That message is for us right now. The point of Hebrews 11 is not just to say, Wow, that was really cool back then, but to carry it on. To say that God is still working now. God is still pursuing people now. He wants your passion, your heart. Not just your deeds. Not just your attendance here. He wants our hearts. I pray that you guys would, would seek him. Would call on his name. Because he wants to change you. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for the story of Rahab, the prostitute. God, I think it's amazing that even though she was a prostitute, she did not stay there. Lord, you mentioned her in Matthew 1 as being part of your lineage, Jesus. You made her, you took away that identity of prostitution and you gave her a new identity. And you made her not even just part of the family, but you made her an heir with you, Lord. And Jesus, you're our greatest hope. You're the one that has this life and truth and you are our way to salvation. So, Father, would you dig into our hearts right now and help us if we're wrestling with past sin, with, with sexual sin, with any kind of life that we feel we are just despised. God, I pray we would see that it's your heart to save and clean us and transform us for your glory. Thank you, Jesus, for sending yourself, for coming in, the, in our likeness and dying on the cross for our sin. Lord, we praise you for that. And we thank you that you're not in the grave, that you've resurrected on our behalf. So God, work in hearts. Pray your spirit would come. In Jesus' mighty name.